0: Welcome, all you mausoleniacs, to another installment of Matthew's Mausoleum of Mayhem! That's right, people, I'm coming back to you here again, and today I want to talk about video games. So, the video game subject I want to tackle is my favorite video game series of all time. I had to dumb it down to three, because, god, there's other series that I love, too. But, these are my top three, because I don't want to take up too much of your time. If this was the, uh, this is not my favorite video games of all time, by the way, because... My favorite video games of all time, that's a very different list. There is probably like, I don't know, one of them definitely has like only two incarnations, but uh, I'm talking about my series which has at least 10 video games underneath its belt. They keep them coming, they're churning them out. So this might be different for all of you guys, but this is my favorite. So without further ado, let's break down these barriers and let's go forward into the unknown and talk about these series. So the first one I want to talk about has got to be Mega Man, the Blue Bomber. So there are several incarnations of this franchise and series, but my favorite is the OG, the Blue Bomber with Dr. Light, Dr. Wily, Bass, Proto Man, Roll, all of them. So my favorite game out of all of that has to be Mega Man 3. It's so memorable and nostalgic for me because when I was growing up, I didn't have a Nintendo system, but a lot of people and friends that I knew that had them had Mega Man 3. And so I would just simply go and play it and eventually I could show them I was good at the game because, you know, my favorite robot master was Snake Man. And so I knew his level through and throughout because that's who I always played first. And then I went on in the boss order that you're supposed to go. But uh, like I said, though, that that was a game I didn't own personally, but other people I knew owned it. And so I was exposed to it so much that I just got good at it. And so for the reasons besides that... With it being the best robot master of all time to me being released, which is Snake Man. The first one based off an animal. Uh, Later on, you get more that are done that way, but he was the first. And he's green, because green's my favorite color. So, uh, without a doubt, slapping on the favorite with him, with uh, Shadow Man with uh gemini man and then proto man showing up to like come and destroy you and hunting you down which is a new thing uh you know I, i'm not gonna spoil what that's all about but i'm just gonna say that the, all brand new concepts are is what is what comes with this game but my least favorite is Mega Man 5 so Mega Man 5 is just to me bland like the, the robot masters are they're cool but you stack them up against the other roster and it just sounds like eh, or it feels like rather you look at them and you're like they could have put more effort and the story, too, was just like, okay, at this point, we get, like, the cycle story. And you're not really playing for the story so much, I guess, at this point. But, you know, it's like, come on, man, can't can't you throw us a curveball? I mean, they sort of do, but not really. Uh, anyways, Mega Man 5, I beat it one time, and I was done with it. Uh, all the Mega Man games, I've beaten at least three times over, the minimum. And um, I keep going back to those ones. But just 5, for whatever reason, for me, was not memorable and didn't pull me back in. Now, my most played Mega Man game is Mega Man and Base, but before I can get into that and why it's my most played, uh, I gotta explain who Base is. A lot of people who have heard the name Mega Man maybe you know who Proto Man is in Roland, Dr. Light, and Dr. Wily, but they don't know who Base is. So, in uh, Super Nintendo system, uh, there's a game called Mega Man 7, which is my honorable mention. Mega Man 7 has a bunch of things going for it. It's the first time we have actual dialogue, like, mid-game. Going on, and uh, Mega Man comes to save the city from Wily's robots that are wreaking havoc because he just escaped prison because no one saw that coming, and you know they're they're just tearing the city apart. Well, ha- partway through the intro stage, uh, you run into this black and gold character with a purple wolf named uh, Base, and his wolf is Treble, the equivalent of Mega Man and Rush. So, uh, anyways, essentially, Base tells you, well, I'm the guy who's taking over now, I'm the new hero, you'll get in my way, just leave. Of course, you're not gonna do that, you're Mega Man, you're gonna take care of business as usual. So, as you progress through the game, you later find out, uh, who Base really is, and essentially he becomes the, um, Vegeta to, uh, Goku, that is Mega Man, and, that probably explains why I love him so much, honestly, because Vegeta's my favorite Dragon Ball character. But anyways, there's a lot of other interesting things that make um, Mega Man 7 my honorable mention, such as the Easter eggs they had in there. So there's a Robot Master that's in my top five, Shade Man. He's based off of vampires. And he's got the crooked nose, he's got the, you know, pointed ears, he's got the demon wings and demon tail. I know, I said demon wings and demon tail, Japanese kind of mess that up a little bit but anyways besides that he's got cloven like like these claws as his feet instead of like normal feet like the other megaman uh robot masters have but uh his whole level is all haunted themed you know you start out and Mega Man gets a cool little like quick cutscene where he looks to the background and as he looks to the background you see these clouds parting to reveal a full moon you hear a wolf howling you see a lake and all trees just like all over the place and as he progresses through, he's got to fight, like, these coffins that come up out of the ground that have zombie robots in them. He's got to fight, like, a mid-boss a uh, Russian nesting doll. And uh, it's a jack-o'-lantern-themed one. And there's, like, spooky pictures all throughout the whole place. And eventually you fight Shade Man, who has, like, a dive attack that can, like, suck away your energy like a vampire would. And so, you know, that's an honorable mention because of that robot master. But there's a cool little, like, quirk they put in there. And that is that they added in if you held down the B button while selecting that Robot Master at the select screen, you would instead of getting like the normal traditional Mega Man like Chime, you would instead get like the Ghouls and Ghosts. Chime, which is like dun 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 and then the whole level you would play through it as a remixed version of the first area of Super Ghouls and Ghosts, or Ghouls and Ghosts, Ghosts and Goblins, what have you. But it's memorable. It's like dun you. you understand. If you ever played the whole franchise, you know what I'm talking about. But that was a really cool thing they put in there. And another cool thing was like a bunch of hidden meetings with Proto Man, which once again, I'm not going to spoil what that is. But, you know, he um, eventually gives you an upgrade. And then there was a hidden like head to head game, which was uh, if you went to the menu and I don't remember how I accessed this because I got it by accident. But uh, growing up, I found it and uh, me and my friend just played each other like for a long time. And uh, the first player is Mega Man, the second player is Bass, and it's a head-to-head Arita-style game. It's really fun. I highly recommend if you guys are beefing with each other to just, like, throw down in there and see who's the better Mega Man player. But, yeah, so Mega Man 7 gets the honorable mention for those reasons. So, I've just explained who Bass is. Basically, Vegeta to Goku, that is, Base to Mega Man. Now, they released a game that came out called Mega Man and Bass. Originally, it was only in Japan called Rockman and Forte. That's their Japanese names, respectively. But, um, Mega Man and Base had a uh, one thing that the others really didn't have. It was a bunch of backtracking. Now, Mega Man 7 and other ones did have backtracking, but not to this level. We had, like, these data disks that were just, like, scattered throughout levels. And you would notice that probably one of you could reach it and the other one couldn't because you got to choose to play as either Mega Man or Base. Mega Man could slide under things, Base could dash and jump. And so, they, they both had things that they could access that the other one couldn't. Luckily, the game took it as a collective library. So, as long as you were playing the same game and collected the same things, it was, like, you know, checked off. Now, to this day, I'm still trying to complete the library. Uh, I know it's a hard thing to do, but I'm still trying to do it. And it's one of my most played games for that reason. Because later on, like, I want to say like five years after this game was relevant... They released it here in the United States on the Game Boy Advance called uh, Mega Man and Bass, obviously. And it had everything that the Japanese uh, port had. But, you know, legally, now I could play it because emulators are illegal and so are ROMs if you don't own the games. But, you know, I had no access to play this otherwise. So it's my most played game for that reason, simply because there's so much backtracking to go do, which I will also explain later in other games about backtracking. But... I'm still trying to complete the library. I'm eventually gonna get there. But yeah, like I said that that is why it's my most played simply for the backtracking now um, I've done talking about the blue bomber But before I go any further, there's another blue person I want to talk about and I'm gonna get into it right now the blue blur Sonic the Hedgehog gotta go fast so um, Growing up. I had the Genesis. I wanted the Super Nintendo, but I got the Genesis much to my dismay, but I eventually, you know, got a hold of things and said, you know what? It's better than nothing. Of course, I appreciate this as a Christmas gift. And Sonic the Hedgehog came with the game system. So during my Christmas break when I got it and during any of the breaks after that, it was my only game I could access at the ready. Now, I still went and rented games, you know, but that was like a privilege. I mean, some, you know, if you didn't grow up lower middle class like I did, it was like a payday and your parents were like, hey, it's a Friday night. Let's go rent movies from Blockbuster. Dude, that was like your best night. You're like, okay, what game am I going to rent? Whatever. So I had other games I was exposed to, but Sonic the Hedgehog 1 is my most played game simply because I had access to it anytime I wanted. It was like eight months before I got a second game for my Genesis, which was Streets of Rage. And, you know, then I played that one like crazy. But still, even then, Sonic the Hedgehog was one I would just go back and beat whenever I felt like it. And um, for that reason alone, that is my most played uh Sonic the Hedgehog game, but it's not my favorite. My favorite is Sonic the Hedgehog 3 plus Knuckles. Now I do understand they are both treated as separate games, uh, but by today's standards they should be treated the same simply because Sonic and Knuckles was an expansion. And the reason I feel that way is that I grew up with Sonic and Knuckles. I got it for my birthday, but I didn't have Sonic 3. So the only way I could access like the save state files with like the slots was if I went and rented Sonic the Hedgehog 3. So, I did that a lot. And I beat the game with everybody, but uh like I said though, I had to rent it. I didn't own Sonic the Hedgehog 3. I don't know why I never saved up to get it or asked for it, but it just didn't happen. Now, uh the cool thing about Sonic the Hedgehog 3, why well, it's my favorite. Uh I played it the most. And uh when I got to rent it, it had such cool zones, you know? I'm like like intro is awesome with supersonic flying and then getting knocked out by knuckles and all the calcium being stolen uh you know you had hydro city you had ice cap zone my favorite zone of all time i'll get into that in a little bit um launch base zone was really cool carnival Nights was fun too i mean all the levels were cool and then you had sonic and knuckles that went on top of that that continued that game and like i said it was an expansion but in today's standards we consider expansions just to be, like, part of the game still. So, it's like... If I said World of Warcraft, do you play World of Warcraft? Yeah, well, I'm talking about, like, the latest expansion, obviously. Because those come out and you're obviously going to be on the latest one. Otherwise, you can't play it. But, um... Like I was saying, though. Uh, Sonic & Knuckles, I grew up with that one. And it didn't have save state unless you had Sonic 3. So, I just played Sonic & Knuckles over and over again throughout whichever way I wanted to. And, um... If I rented Sonic 3, I'd be lucky enough to have the save files. So, uh, a really weird and cool trivia thing about Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Not Knuckles. We're, we're going to cut off Knuckles here. But uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 3 was that Michael Jackson did a lot of music for that. Well, I'm doing a lot of music. Sorry. He did three tracks for that uh, game. And that's what Sega was hoping to bank on to sell the game and promote it more. Was that, oh, Michael Jackson, you know, he did the music for this game. And the three uh, tracks he did were uh, Ice Cap Zone. Once again, my favorite zone. Anything that is ice themed. And especially if you just go and play that zone. I mean, it's my favorite zone because I just love the way it looks. It's all just so somber and I love it. But um, Ice Cap Zone, uh, Carnival Nights, which the Calliope music and everything like that. it's, It's really good. And then the end credits. So there's like weird things that came out of that, but I'll get into that in a second. So... Michael Jackson, even though he did the music, the recording company couldn't give him better quality. And, you know, he was basically upset about that, saying, like, if you cannot give me better quality sounds out of this because I know it can sound better, then I want my name taken off the credits. And at the time, at first, Sega was like, oh, man, that's going to help us sell the game. You know, why would we take your name off? But then the allegations came out and then it was all of a sudden like well you know gosh mj you're right man i really wish we could do something about the sound quality but ah darn the luck i you know what you're right your name cannot be tarnished by using the music from this we'll take your name off godspeed we'll we'll continue on but ah we hate to see you go and uh, so the recording company that did the music uh funny thing there is that uh so michael jackson relinquished the rights to the music right like in a way so that worked it was like a revolving door for that because uh on one side the recording company that did the music they had a band uh under contract through them called the jetsons And they did a song for them called Hard Times. And they basically just handed them the Ice Cap Zone um, theme uh, on a platter. And so if you go look up on YouTube, uh, definitely look up the Ice Cap Zone theme, uh, Act 1. But then look up Jetsons Hard Times. And so when I say Jetsons, that's J-E-T-Z-O-N-S. That's the name of the band. It's very new retro wave sounding, but this was like back in the 90s. I wasn't even like, you know, in tune to that. But uh, if you listen to it, you'll notice that they it's the same exact song. You know, there's no difference. It's just lyrics added to it. And another cool trivia fact about that is that uh, there's a sitcom called The Middle on ABC. It's, it's been over for a while now, but uh, the main character, Frankie, she has an old parting friend. And so she reconnects with that parting friend and that parting friend ends up coming to her house like drunk or whatever. And she just wants to keep the party going. She turns on music and is dancing in the living room. And the song that comes on is that song I just now mentioned, Jetson's Hard Times. And so I was sitting there thinking like, man, who on the production staff came up with that idea to say, you know what? That's a song that needs to be playing right there because obviously they know what I'm telling you right now. And they have got to be Sonic the Hedgehog fans. So uh, that that's a weird trivia bit for you. But here's another one. I'm not done. Uh, so if you ever listen to the Sonic the Hedgehog 3 in credits, right? Give it like a good minute listen. Uh, you know, it, it, you can YouTube. It's free. And you'll hear it. And you'll get the tune in your head. Then you immediately go listen to Michael Jackson's uh, Stranger in Moscow. And you'll notice it's extremely slowed down. But otherwise, it's the same music. So like I said, it was like a revolving door. Like the recording company used it for a band they had. But Michael Jackson ended up using the tune that they, he made with them for one of his own songs that went on to an album. And so if you ever get asked at a trivia night, hey, did Michael Jackson ever work on a game's uh, soundtrack and want his name taken off? If so, what game was that? Song the Hedgehog 3, you're welcome. Give me part of those earnings because I just want it for you. Uh, so that being said though, uh, you know, my least favorite are definitely any of the 3D Sonic games that came out that were like, had like a weird story, like Sonic and the Secret Rings, Sonic and the Black Knight, uh, Sonic Unleashed, the Were-Hedgehog. I mean, come on, dude, these games were just like terrible. And I'm not saying they're terrible just because I'm bandwagoning. I'm saying they're terrible because I actually played them. And an hour in, I'm just like, no, this game is no fun. And I love Sonic Heroes. I love Sonic uh, Jet Riders. I love you know, Sonic Adventure 1 and 2. You know, so I'm not just like coming down on them simply for being 3D and not traditional Sonic. I'm just simply saying those games, they had no place. I mean, why make them? It was a cash grab. So, you know, get those games out of here. Those are my least favorite. Now, my honorable mention is Sonic CD simply because a lot of Sonic, uh, not Sonic, sorry, Sega CD games... They were just improvements on the original Genesis games, you know, like if you got like Mortal Kombat CD on Sega CD, it was essentially just like better graphics, but that wasn't the case with Sonic CD. So Sonic CD actually had brand new zones. They had brand new music. They had brand new enemies and they introduced a brand new feature called time travel. So, you know, you went past those like gates where you'd spin them and then like, you know, complete the level. Well, they'd have them hidden throughout the uh, game in zones and as you went through the zones, you could travel to the past, present, or future, depending on where you were. Now, uh, depending on where you were, also there were two things you had to destroy. You had to destroy a generator, and you had to destroy like a hologram of like uh, Doctor Obotnik like submitting the uh, wildlife to his rule. And if you destroyed all those, and you went to the future, you would get like this vibrant, flourishing. Uh, zone that just had like everything going for it uh, animals are just walking around all happy there's no bad nicks but if you didn't then instead you would have like this industrialized zone because of robotniks tampering and you would have bad nicks everywhere it was just a terrible thing so the whole point was you had to go and correct the past to fix the future and um that was a really cool feature that i wish they added in to other games Now, also, uh, the cool features they had in this game was, if you remember from uh, Green Hill Zone, uh, uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 2, you had the spiral, like, loop things that, like, you know, made it look 3D, like the corkscrew. That was actually in Sonic CD first. And then on top of that, Spin Dash and Running in Place, that was in Sonic CD as well. As well as a new antagonist, Metal Sonic. So, I mean, Sonic CD was honestly, to me, Sonic the Hedgehog 2. But I didn't play it till like, years later after I actually could get my hands on a Sega CD system at a decent price and things like that. But um, I highly encourage you to play that as well, simply because it's it's just an interesting, you know, thing to go through. Now, um, that being said, my other honorable mention is Sonic Mania. That was a Sonic game made by Sonic fans for Sonic fans. got published by Sega. And if you just play it, I mean, so much love went into that game. Once again, it's like a Sonic 3 clone. You got, you know, your save states, your slots. You can choose either Sonic, Sonic and Tails, uh, Tails by himself or Knuckles by himself. And then with the expansions, you get the Chaotix characters that came out in 32X, Knuckles Chaotix, which are Mighty the Armadillo and Ray the Squirrel. So uh, I highly recommend playing those games, though. I think it's like 30 bucks to get like the core game and the expansion today, like even a physical copy. So, I mean, come on, 30 bucks, and if you love Sonic the Hedgehog, you just go and relive everything you love about Sonic. And a really cool thing, too, by the way, is that they revisit, like, old zones and new zones. But the old zones, if you play through them, they'll have, like, the OG music in Act 1. But when you go through it on Act 2, they'll have a new remix of it, and the remixes are just awesome. Now, unfortunately, Ice Cap Zone didn't make it into that game, so I'm a little bit miffed. But uh, we'll get them next time. And hopefully that next time comes very soon because I think there's a lot of other characters that could be added. A lot of the game modes and definitely more zones. So my favorite series of all time is Castlevania. If you guys are not familiar with this, oh boy, let's strap ourselves in and get ready to go. So a lot of people have memories playing the, the Nintendo growing up. And they were playing Super Mario Brothers or, you know, Burger Time. Maybe even Monster Party. Honestly, I love that game. Uh, there's a ton of games in Legend of Zelda. But for me, it was Castlevania. And the first one I played was Castlevania 2 Simon's Quest. And so for that reason, for nostalgia, probably alone. But I'm going to speak about more why it's my favorite Castlevania game of all time. Uh, before I get into that, though, I just want a little tidbit of information. Is that uh, I own most U.S. copies of physical releases of Castlevania. I own, um, you know, even obscure games, honestly, like Chronicles that came out on PlayStation 1. But I uh, don't own uh, several other games, handful of games, honestly. But I have played them through different means, either through emulator and ROM, depending on how old it was, or through friends. But for me... I do not own, like, the Kid Dracula series. Kid Dracula is like, Alucard when he's, like, a little boy. So it's very, like, slapstick, gag, you know, comedy. Uh, I don't own Bloodlines on the Genesis. I don't own uh, any of the 64 or Super Nintendo games. Um, I don't own Harmony of Distance, which is my white whale currently. Uh, for Game Boy Advance, when I first got a Game Boy Advance, I, um, the Aria Sauri had just come out. But I wanted Circle of the Moon and I wanted Harmony of Dissonance. And so I went all across my town, Elver City, and uh, found an unopened copy of Circle of the Moon. Got it. But I could not find Harmony of Dissonance. So I've not played that one yet. Out of refusal, I have ways to play it, but I'm not going to unless I own it. And I'm a psychopath when it comes to most of my game franchises. Like, I have got to own a game case the instruction manual. To, if the instruction manual is like something not basic, you know what I mean? Like, if, for example, like Street Fighter came with the instruction manual that had like move sets in it and stuff like that. That's what I want. But if it's like a basic one, just like, oh, hey, in license user agreement, you purchase this game, blah, blah. There's nothing in it that like really pertains to the game or tells you information about the game, then I don't want it. But if it is something that's pertinent, I want it. And so when it comes to Game Boy Advance Castlevania games, I'm a psychopath. I have i've got to own the case and the uh instruction manual along with the game itself so um those are the games i don't own but i do own weird games like on the uh, ios app i own not only uh encore of the night which is a uh, puzzle fighter slash columns clone where you explore the castle and you essentially uh, do battles with the monsters and enemies and what have you with the uh, Columns Gems system. You know, uh, you line up the gems, make as many as you can and blow them all up, detonate them. But um, that one was weird, but I beat it like in two days because I'm a veteran when it comes to like a puzzle fighter. And then I also own Symphony of the Night on my phone that I can connect my PlayStation 4 controller to through Bluetooth, but I'll get to that in a second. Now, um, the other game I own that's kind of weird is Haunted Castle. It is a arcade port of Castlevania, but it's nothing like Castlevania 1. Because up to this point, Castlevania 2 didn't come out for a while. And, uh, Haunted Castle came out for the arcades, and it's, like, completely different. Like, the level layout's different, the enemies are different, um, everything about it is just, like, super different. And they even threw in, like, a storyline where, like, Dracula comes and steals your bride away on your wedding day. So that's Simon's motivation to go through the castle and save her as opposed to just being a Belmont and it's like, hey, it's your job to go and kill Dracula. So uh, that was a kind of weird thing, but I own it. I got it for less than five bucks for sure on my PlayStation 4, but I own it. Uh, My favorite, though, is Simon's Quest. But before I can get into why Simon's Quest is my favorite, I'm going to talk about why uh, my least favorite is Castlevania 1. Um, I know it's a weird jump, but please stay with me. I promise there's a method to my madness. So the reason why I hate Castlevania 1 so much, I love and I hate it, but I hate it more. Because it's so unforgiving. You, you, like, okay, so the first stage, second stage, oh, they're a breeze, no problem. You get the third stage, okay, it's a little bit harder. You get the fourth stage, God help you if you get past that one. Because once you get out of the Merman area caverns, right, You get to the surface, and you're like, oh, I'm on top of the world, right? You're going through. Now you got albatrosses dropping flea men at you everywhere. And then if you get past that, you got bone dragons to take care of. And then on top of that, you got to fight Frankenstein's monster that has Igor with him, which is a flea man who's indestructible. Like, you whip him, and he's, like, phased out for five seconds. But if you don't phase him out and take care of uh, Frankenstein's monster, then he's going to jump around and shoot fireballs at you. It is such a huge pain in the neck. But then if you get past that, You go to the morgue that has skeletons and axe knights everywhere. And then you got to fight death. And then if you get past that, you have Dracula's bridge to go across to get to his chambers. But guess what? The first boss, the Darkwing Bat, is everywhere. And when I say everywhere, I'm talking about like four different, five different instances, maybe more of that. Like every screen over is a freaking Darkwing Bat. So it's so unforgiving and had no password system. It was just like one playthrough, get it done. I have never beaten that game without save state. One day I will, but man, that day is not anytime soon. So I've talked about why it's so unforgiving. Oh, by the way, uh, if you got like uh, your whip upgraded, right? Uh, You would have to get it through that one life. So you have to whip candles and hope you got the crest to upgrade your whip from like the leather whip to the chain whip to like the morning star whip which was like longer but if you died you lost it and then if you wanted sub weapons well then you had to actually get one or the other so it's like okay well i don't know what sub weapon i'm gonna need for this boss do i need the axe do i need the dagger do i need the uh clock you know uh, do i need the cross what do i need like the boomerang cross and then you also got, like, the multiple uses. So, like, if you got, like, the Roman numeral 2 or 3, you could throw out, like, two instances of that sub weapon or three instances, depending on what it was you got. So, I mean, that was what was in Castlevania 1. I love Castlevania 1 because without it, we wouldn't have my favorite franchise of all time. But at the same time, I hate it because it's so unforgiving. Uh, but it, it, it's a great game. I go back to it. I own it on three different ports including the original NES system. So I I love it, I hate it, but I love it. Now, let's go to why Simon's Quest, Castlevania 2 is my favorite. It gets a lot of hate, and I understand there's a popular YouTuber who made a huge deal about it why it's a terrible game because it's so mistranslated, right? Yes, I get that. It's mistranslated. But it gave so much back because now we had a level up system. You still had three lives, But you had a level up system. You could collect the hearts from the enemies you destroyed. And they were your currency. But they were also your experience. And then if you found a sub weapon. You could equip whatever sub weapon you wanted. You collected it. You permanently had it. You just had to go into your menu system. And say hey I want to use this one instead. And then use it. And then your whip got permanently upgraded. You could go to towns. Depending on how far you progressed. And buy the upgrade and permanently have it on top of all that you got to traverse the whole area the whole world that was in that game before it was only straightforward go forward never back you can't ever go back you can only go forward but simon's quest said nope you can go wherever you want as long as you can make it happen and reach the other end you can do it keep going and um then they also added like the dracula parts that were sort of like the pseudo relics because before this and after this, for a while, we're not going to get that. But when you collected parts of Dracula, if you equipped them as well with your sub-weapons, you also got like a cool thing like one gave you a shield to deflect projectiles and other stuff like that. You know, it it was really, really cool. It was a very good system. I That's the one I grew up playing. It's nostalgic for me because I played that one the most growing up. And my cousins had that game so anytime I got to borrow their systems or come over and play with them I would play that game and I got good at it. So that is why Castlevania uh, 2 Simon's Quest is my favorite Castlevania of all time. If not nostalgia, it's the fact that it it introduced all those elements I just mentioned that no other Castlevania game had up until later and I'll get into that because I'm going to talk about my most played game my most played game is symphony of the night on the playstation one now this game had everything and when i say it had everything that's not an exaggeration if you compare it even to simon's quest which was the only thing closest to it up to this point you couldn't compare it because symphony of the night okay let's just talk about what you have to do Uh, Every hundred years, Dracula comes back. A Belmont has to deal with Dracula. So that's why all the Belmonts are famous throughout the Castlevania series. Because they're the people that are like, well, we're going to take care of it. Well, in this instance, this happens after another Castlevania game like five or ten years later. I think it's five years later. And um, Castlevania has appeared, which only means one thing. Dracula's back. But that doesn't make sense. It's only 100 years, right? Every hundred years he rises. What's going on? So, uh, Alucard, who is Dracula's son, wakes up from his slumber because he puts himself away after the events that happened during, uh, Castlevania 3 Dracula's curse. And he wakes up and he's like, okay, something's not right. There should be a Belmont here, but there's no Belmont. Why is there no Belmont? And so, uh, as you progress, you'll find out why. But, um he you know storms the castle death shows up to stop him and says what are you doing blah 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 this is treason okay i'm stripping you of everything if you want to come and you know kill your father then by all means you're welcome to try but i've taken away all of your family heirlooms i've taken away everything you're essentially gimped out and uh the really cool thing is like i said earlier you got to choose your sub weapons right in this game you didn't you had either or just like the original Castlevania games. Every Castlevania game besides Simon's Quest. But you had equipment. And that was really awesome. Because one, Alucard didn't use whips. That's not his style. He uses swords. So you got to equip all manners of weapons. Swords, uh, hammers, maces, rods, knuckles, nunchucks, even items. And then on top of that, you had like different cloaks. You had headgear. You had accessories and boots and stuff. It was all awesome because that wasn't in any castle any game before this. And then you had the relic system, which like I said, with uh Simon's Quest, you kind of had that with Dracula's body parts, but in here now they were ways to progress throughout the game. And the castle was so vast, it had like teleportation rooms to get you from one place to the other. The music was unforgettable, the enemies are unforgettable. Farming was just a pain in the butt, but it was a fun game to play. And there were so, there were like four different endings to that game. There was uh, so many hidden things that were in there. And uh, I will tell you this right now, every time I play that game and I own it on five different ports that I can think of right now on top of my head. But if you played through that game, you would know that 200% of that game is just like kind of the minimum a little bit, because if you beat the game and you get like the okay ending and like, okay, you thought you beat it, but you really didn't. Because if you don't have more than 120%, if you beat that game, and don't get the other percent, and you'll know what I'm talking about, if you've done it, then you'll be like, oh man, I haven't played this game all the way through, because there's brand new bosses, brand new areas, brand new music, brand new relics, everything is just brand spanking new. That game has so much replay value, that is why it's my most played of all time, because every time I've played it, I've got a 200% it. 200%ed and i own it on so many different versions including the og playstation 1 not greatest hits but original black disc i own it and i i can't put that game over any more than i am right now i'm just going to simply say if you've never played a castlevania game or if you played them you're like oh they're okay play symphony of the night i promise you you will be addicted um and the guy who's responsible for that is koji igarashi so I'm going to take a really quick detour about him. Uh, so he, this is a guy who loved Castlevania growing up, but he got hired by Konami to work on a dating sim game called uh, Tokameki Memorial. I don't know what the game is about. If I looked up screenshots, it looks like basically your high school dating sim thing. But anyways, he worked on it, but his then girlfriend at the time that later became his wife Was working for Konami as well, and she was working on the uh, Castlevania development team working on Rondo of Blood, which was the game that came out before Symphony of the Night. So uh, they bounced story ideas off each other, and during his breaks, he would play the development version of Rondo of Blood because he loved Castlevania so much and he would just do it during his breaks. You know, he'd go and just play it, just research. And and, uh, anyway, so after he completes the dating game, He's like, you know what? This is not what I want to do. I want to work on Castlevania. I love Castlevania. I want to make something happen with this. Please put me on that team. So they do. He becomes the scenario writer, which is sort of a fancy word for storyteller. And he becomes a programmer. But then partway through the game's development, he gets promoted to assistant director because the obvious uh, position, the person in that position got promoted up. So that's where he goes. He completes the game. And he's got three titles under his belt. He's essentially the most important person part of the Castlevania franchise. And Konami knows it. And they put him at the head of things from there on. And from here, you know, he sort of makes like the same kind of uh, idea. You know, multiple equippable items and weapons and, uh, you know, armor and stuff like that. On top of like a bunch of backtracking here and there. Uh, you know, they all become very much like uh, watered down versions of Symphony of the Night. But, you know, he had to do it for, you know, reasons, for restriction reasons on the systems. And then you had Hideo Kojima, who did like the Lords of Shadow series. And he did Metal Gear Solid, but Konami thought, you know what, let's give him the reins and see what happens. Either way, though, Konami decided ultimately to end all of their like consoles. And they were like, you know what, pachinko's where our money's at. Let's make pachinko games. Let's make a Castlevania pachinko game. Well, uh, Koji was not cool with that. He was like, "Nah, man, I want to make more Castlevania games. The fans want it. I want it. I mean, why stop making them, you know? And so um, eventually he ends up leaving Konami at the end. And uh, the last game he produces is Castlevania Harmony of Despair, which is a six-player online game. And you can play as a bunch of the characters that he was in charge of. And uh, it's essentially Symphony of the Night but with a bunch of characters from all the games he worked on and you got like a you you all go into a giant castle area it's a giant castle, a giant village, a giant pyramid, whatever but it's a giant area you got to go to and you all got to work together to get to the boss and kill the boss together and if you do you get rewarded for it. So it's it's a it's a really awesome game in fact I still play that to this day. It came out on the PlayStation 3 and Xbox 360. But I still play to this day and I can still find games if I'm lucky. But um, that was his last game he put out. And then he said deuces and decided to work on something else, which is something I will save for another podcast because this is running on way too long. Uh, But I want to thank you all uh, for listening to me do this because I really love video games. And this is my favorite video game franchise of all time. And I'm thankful that you guys are taking the time to listen to it. So all you mausolaniacs, in closing, I want to thank you all for tuning in, taking time out of your day to listen to me speak about things I love. If you want to hear more of this sultry, soothing voice, all you got to do is hit me up on my social medias. Let me know what did you not like about what I've talked about so far, what you wish I would talk about, what are my opinions on this. I'm all over the geekdom, people. I'm not lying about that. I can talk about anything and everything forever. But I'm trying so hard to reel it back in. But if you want to let me know that you love me, you hate me, whatever, you can find me on Instagram at Matthew underscore Morningstar 36. Or if you want to hit me up on the Twitter, you can find me at Retcon B for Retcon Belmont. That's R-E-T. C-O-N-N-E-D-B, Retconned B, in honor of Sonia. And I'll talk about that in another podcast. But thank you so much for tuning in. I'm really glad I have listeners. And uh, I really hope you guys have the best day possible when you're listening to this. Because I want to have the best day possible. And I hope you do too. And so go out there and do your thing. Be positive. Put positive energy out there. And let's make the world awesome. Thank you so much for tuning in to another installment of Matthew's Mausoleum of Mayhem.